Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Today's guest speaker is a leader in speech recognition for voice systems. Listen in as Dan O'Connell of Dialpad and I discuss about why voice is the new input for all our devices, how real-time speech recognition at Dialpad improves conversations, and what organizations can do to build cultures for the modern worker. This is Humane. Welcome to Humane. My name is David Jakobovich, and I will be your host throughout this series. Together, we will explore AI through fireside conversations with industry experts. From business executives and AI researchers to leaders who advance AI for all, Humane is the channel to release new AI products, to learn about industry trends, and to bridge the gap between humans and machines in the fourth industrial revolution. If you like this episode, remember to subscribe and leave a review. Welcome back, everyone, to the Humane Podcast. My name is David Jakobovich, and on today's episode, our guest speaker is Dan O'Connell. Dan is the Chief Strategy Officer for Dialpad and also is a member of the board. He previously was also the CEO of a real-time speech analytics and natural language processing startup, TalkIQ, which Dialpad acquired about a year ago. He has held leadership positions at Google and AdRoll. Dan, thanks for being with us on the podcast. Great. Thanks for having me, David. Appreciate it. 
Dan, it's amazing how the entire AI space is evolving so fast. A couple of years ago, we weren't sure if conversational AI was going to be a thing. And now it's being integrated in products everywhere. I'm a huge fan of Dialpad and its software. I've been using the product for a few years. And I was one of, I think, the beta users to use Dialpad voice intelligence. And now it's everywhere. Tell us a little bit about how AI is integrated into Dialpad. Yeah, so it's been, uh, as you mentioned, been pretty awesome to see just how prevalent some of these technologies are. As you mentioned at Talk IQ, we were building a real-time speech recognition engine, which is allows us to do real-time transcription. And then we have do all of our own NLP, which is a fancy way of saying we can actually take those conversations, transcribe them, and help you understand them. So identify sentiment or identify topics. And so all of those technologies since the acquisition a year ago are now baked in across the four Dialpad products. So we have a cloud telephony product, we have a call center product, we have a product that we just launched last week specific to sales teams called Dialpad Cell, and then we have Uber Conference. So we take speech recognition and NLP, we bake it essentially into the phone line. Launching products in the summer. I know we're uh, recording this episode in June 2019, so it's cool that a new product Dialpad Cell is out. You know, I've worked with organizations where I'm involved with pre-sales and doing some of those components, and there's so many customers, it's a lot to manage. What's unique about Dialpad Cell? Yeah, so Dialpad Cell is designed specific for sales organizations. And so anytime I talk to my friends and they ask me about a product, I try to talk about it in the most simple terms possible. And so it's a really easy way for sales organizations to make high volume calls and then also understand what's happening in those calls. And what I mean by that is you essentially have a sales dialer. Um, it gives you also a business line on your personal device. You have a business phone number. It's fully textable fully integrates with systems of records, so things like Salesforce and Zendesk and 365. And then it helps you understand all of what's happening within those conversations. And that's really the Talk IQ technology at work, which is you might get asked a question, we can present a suggested answer to that question, we can trap sentiment and purchase intent, and then you basically have a Google archive for your conversation. So you can go back and listen to the conversations at hand, you can identify topics and do data mining and really just drive efficiency across your sales organization. Now, every type of organization could be a sales organization. And something on my mind is that we're in 2019 and there's over 20 candidates in a Democratic Party applying for the election. And what's interesting is every candidate builds a whole sales organization. And, you know, we think back to the 2012 and 2016 elections, Twilio and a lot of these texting softwares were very prevalent, but very few software had AI and live transcribing those conversations to see what's going well and what's not going well. Any thoughts on how this may impact the 2020 election? Yeah. Wow. Good question. Had not thought about that. I think what's interesting, so I I guess the way I would take it, what's interesting in doing this, and we do sometimes actually get calls from political parties, when it's namely to help them understand and drive efficiency just for donations, right? So as they actually make calls, people want to know, well, what are the candidates that people then mention? If I'm calling you trying to you know, ask for a donation for a specific candidate and you say, no, you know, not going to do it. Here's who I'm actually supporting or here's who I'm supporting. And these are actually the issues that are most pertinent to me or, or I care the most about. Now you can use these technologies to actually quantify that data. So I don't know if it necessarily, you know, influences the, the outcome, obviously, but I think the smartest campaigns are going to be leveraging these technologies to quantify 
some of the topics and quantify obviously the conversations at hand. And I think that's where we obviously think is kind of the biggest opportunity. It's, you know, the telephone is now cool again and, and cool again because you've got some not new technologies, but I think speech recognition and natural language processing now help you understand what's happening in those conversations in really unique ways that are going to allow you to drive better decision making really in whatever it is you might be doing. So business communications are now very hot again. On a recent episode of the Humane Podcast, I featured Noelle LaCharité, who uh, runs um, the AI integration of Alexa and Cortana and a lot of these you know, natural language processing devices from all the companies. And really, you know, her mission is building a unified system and voice is the new input for all our devices. I wonder how people are going to continue to interact on the web. And for Dialpad, I know that your product is web-focused, application-focused, many different ways the product's out there. Do you see Dialpad coming onto Alexa and OK Google and, you know, Apple HomePod? Yeah, so I think when you, what's interesting is there's obviously a lot of cases when you kind of look at the, the big four, so Google, Amazon, Microsoft, Apple, I view them today when we talk about voices really focused on consumer devices, as you just highlighted. And really, that's why we had started Talk IQ was how do we actually help businesses understand those conversations? And I think that presented a really unique opportunity. When you also from, from kind of a technical aspect, so telephony audio is at eight kilohertz. And so there was also not a lot of focus around how do you actually transcribe accurately eight kilohertz audio, which is basically compressed down, presents its own challenges. And so when we think about Dialpad, it was, look, there was an opportunity to help businesses understand the voice conversations that were happening. And then I think there's also an opportunity to say, well, what about the in-person meetings? And I think then a lot of people probably then start thinking about, does Alexa start showing up in the workplace? And, and is that the note-taking app of the future or piece of hardware? But I'm like, look, we, we all walk around with a great device in our pockets. Um, it can capture stereo quality audio at 44 kilohertz. And really all of that it would require is an app. And I think a unique opportunity for us is when you use Dialpad, we have a mobile app. So now we have a delivery mechanism to actually capture the audio for the in-person meeting and then start thinking about doing interesting things there. So when we think long-term about our roadmap, you know, there's often a question of, does Dialpad get into hardware? Do we partner with Amazon or Google? Um, and I'm like, you know what? We, there's a piece of hardware in our pocket and it requires an app. Now, there's some technical challenges that happen when you try to capture multiple people speaking through a mobile device, but I think that also presents a really unique opportunity to think about. Yeah, that makes sense, especially for those in-person meetings where you have three, four, five dozen people on them. It's a lot of note-taking, knowing who's what. And I know I've used Amazon Transcribe and Recognition. And with these softwares, whether it's visual or it's voice-based, you can recognize who's speaking. And that's also the same with Dialpad's AI, with its voice intelligence. I know you have a sister product called Uber Conference, which is all about conferencing for those big teams. And um, in my former life, when I ran media and sports ventures, we'd have so many people on these calls. And that product was just a godsend. How has the integration of Uber Conference into Dialpad been as well? Yeah, so you, Uber Conference is funny because I started using Uber Conference probably 10 years ago. And so it's funny to then kind of go through an acquisition of a product and a, a team that you are familiar with to kind of say like, oh, now, now I get to sit in a room and, and talk strategy and, 
and think about building a business with them. Uber Conference, I think, is a fantastic product. As I said, I used it uh, or started using it probably a decade ago. And that integration is entirely seamless to the Dialpad experience. So I think a big thing for us is being able to start a conversation and take it from a voiceover IP conversation or a cloud conversation to then making it a web conferencing conversation if you wanted to. So anyway, that's probably not the best answer on that stuff. Yeah, no worries. But I do like the point on the web conferencing because um, the industry is evolving so fast. There's so many trends out there. And I know before we were recording today, we we're just talking about the market. Everyone from Slack and Discord to yourself and Aircall. I mean, it's almost like IRC is back in fashion and there's, there's all these new trends. How are you seeing the market evolve? Yeah, so when I think about the trends is, um, I do think business communications, when you think as an overall industry, is probably one of the hottest spaces to be in right now. I think you can see this in both public markets and also just in the private markets in terms of where investments are being made across the board. For me, I think like every business, especially these days, faces the same problems, which is how do we hire people? How do we grow faster? I think there's definitely a trend to more businesses being more open to having remote employees or just teams really spread throughout the world. Um, I think these technologies are allowing that to actually happen. And I think that's a trend that's actually probably going to become even more prevalent that I don't think it's going to in the future, you know, and, and I'm talking, you know, five or 10 years, I don't think it's necessarily going to be the past norm of, hey, you have to have a headquarters and that's where everyone needs to be. And if you need, if you want a job there, you have to live there. And again, I think it becomes because of these technologies, whether it's voice, video, text messaging, the ability to have high quality or, or high definition video with somebody across the planet in a super seamless way. And then how do you utilize things like real-time speech recognition to do a translation? So perhaps you're speaking Japanese and I'm speaking English and you have technologies that can actually allow us to communicate in a really seamless way, even though we may not even be speaking the same language. Yeah, I was talking with a fund out in Korea just a few weeks ago, and we were talking about investment opportunities. And they said, oh, we're interested in investing in people all over the world. They don't have to be in Korea. And I said, that's so fascinating. They said, no, they don't even have to move to Korea. It's the new digital age. So it's amazing how companies are global. We still have time zones for now, at least. Yeah. And I say that, you know, it sounds really easy to say, look, you can use all these technologies and hire people all over the world to do it. Um, you know, if you ask me to, to build a startup, Honestly, I would probably want my core team to be in person. So I do think that there are definitely opportunities to build remote teams. I also think that also presents some really difficult challenges around culture and connectedness um, as well. Me personally, I love showing up in the office every day. I love having that sense of camaraderie with people. And I do think like even remote that gets lost a little bit. You have to really make the extra efforts when you're connecting with people remotely. You know, we're doing this podcast, but but we have the video on to see each other. And that's one of those things that if we turned the video off, we would probably actually have a little bit less of a sense of, of mm. connectedness. And it would probably feel a little bit less personal. So I do think that that stuff can get really difficult if you're trying to do that with 16 people in 16 different locations. 
Yeah, I mean, I know a lot of companies have been going through the dilemma of going public and going private and bringing teams centralized versus going remote. One of the classic examples a few years ago was a Yahoo with Marissa Meyer, where she brought everyone back together in one central space. And um, I don't think personally anything was wrong with that. I don't think Yahoo's troubles could be solved by bringing everyone back in one space. But I personally applaud her for the, the effort that she did there. It's interesting, right? You talk about core teams. So why do you think it's important for the core team to be centralized? Yeah, I think, you know, early on, anytime you're building a startup, and I frame this as what I have learned in my times of, of trying to run a startup. And, you know, I grew up in Silicon Valley all of my life and have been part of a, a few different high growth organizations. I think that the challenge is, look, building a startup is probably the, one of the, the most difficult things that you can do. You show up. In Silicon Valley, you're trying to compete for talent. You probably don't have enough money to actually attract the right talent. You're trying to sell a vision that hasn't been proven, and you're going up against you know, the Goliaths of the world. It's meant to be this heroic adventure. And I think that alone, to be successful, is one of the hardest things to go and do. And I think if you then said, hey, we're all going to go work in four different time zones across the planet to try to pull that off. I think it it makes the challenge that much more difficult. Not to say it can't be done. I just, knowing myself and my experiences, I would probably opt for, hey, you can have a fully remote team or you can run that problem with the team every day and show up with them. I would probably opt for the, I'm going to show up with them, at least initially, right? Until you get some sense of scale or some sense of success. Now, I feel like even for those remote teams, there are technologies that perhaps could be used in the future to emulate those in-person meetings. Virtual reality has been around since the 1980s, and now it seems to be coming of age with Oculus and and the new products. Augmented reality has been around for quite a while. Google Glass version 2.0 is coming out. Do you think AR or VR, one of them might take off in the next few years to emulate those remote meetings? Yeah, I think it has to. You know, anytime somebody talks to me about how do I future proof myself or what are kind of the most interesting opportunities to get into, I do think it's voice. I think you'd mentioned, you know, voice is, is the next input for a lot of our, our devices. It's now becoming prevalent in home. It's not yet prevalent in all of our cars. It's not yet prevalent in business. So we'll see that transition happen. But to me, it's voice. And then it's obviously VR and AR. And I think VR and AR has different, have different applications. But, you know, what's missing today from this connectedness is we are still utilizing somewhat old technology. And I say old technology is not, not in a negative way, but we don't have the winning VR app yet. And I think we've all seen or many of us have probably seen Ready Player One. That will happen right? probably in our lifetime. And I think it's going to be really unique and it's going to be crazy. And I think it's going to be pretty fun. But we're not there yet. But I think that will happen. And that's going to create a real difference in terms of connectedness, both for work, but also for personal and for families. I think one of the keys to create a Ready Player One lifestyle is having a lot of data and also being able to run it in real time very fast. And with fiber, it's been such a challenge because it's not everywhere. It's very costly, even with the most recent challenges with the trade war between the U.S. and China with Huawei and the talks of, did you know that Huawei now owns 30% of the world's fiber? No one knew that they built that. And it's interesting, but fiber cannot be the solution because it's 
it's not a global way to have all the telecommunication. So there's these new technologies on the horizon. One is 5G, we've been talking about it for a few years. Another one is CubeSats, which is what SpaceX is doing, launching satellites into space that ideally will beam internet into remote areas. What's your take on both 5G and CubeSats? Yeah, so 5G, I think, obviously, is going to be the game changer that we all hope it to be and expect it to be. And again, to your point, limitations of technology. The beauty about technology is really you can go and build and do anything. The challenge, and you mentioned, is really access to data and processing power. The cloud has changed our ability to go and compute in the cloud, and I don't need now a a server that's the size of a room to go and process things. I can now Mm -hmm. go do that somewhere else. And and then you said access to data, which is, well, I've got to be able to crunch things and learn from them really quickly. So I do think that like 5G will change the game in terms of the application or what the applications will be able to accomplish. Yeah, I think that's exciting. And I'm also, I'm very bullish on the CubeSats. I know, you know, Elon Musk, love him or hate him. You know, he talks all about really interesting ideas. And I just think about, you know, rural access. You know, if you're in a farm in the Midwest where fiber will not come to, can the satellites solve that? So should be interesting. And I don't know if that's going to be this year or next year. But I do know that regardless of all of these technologies, what we're seeing is that open source is eating the world. You know, even a lot of the NLP and AI and analytics that you worked on a Talk IQ and now a Dialpad, a lot of this is inspired from open source, like Python and TensorFlow and these systems. Does your team use a lot of open source today? And where do you think that's going? Yeah, so I think anytime somebody says, you know, they build something from the ground up, um, when you really get into the weeds of it, you pretty much start looking at open source software with, with optimization. So we've always been huge fans of open source software at, at TalkIQ and, and at my past lives at Google. So I do think that, look, oftentimes people will, will say, look, we're doing really great things. We spent all of this time and energy building this ourselves. Um, and there are actually really good open source options that you can leverage Um, that are out there in the world and allow you to actually build things faster and can do that actually are just as good as, I would say, licensed software. Hey, humans, are you accumulating lots of listening minutes for your podcast, but not being rewarded for your listening time? There's a new app available now called PodCoin where you can listen to podcasts and donate your listening time to charity. PodCoin gives you the opportunity to be rewarded for listening to your favorite podcasts. Whether you're listening to Joe Rogan, Tim Ferriss, or Terry Gross, or even Humane, PodCoin is the new app for you to give back for your listening minutes. Check it out on the App Store. So I very much view as, again, as we become more connected and access to data becomes more, even more prevalent. And I think you know, organizations like GitHub are providing that opportunity and learnings that open source software is going to continue to get better and better. And it's going to be interesting to see the dynamic that that creates in the future. Now I know uh, Microsoft bought GitHub just in the past year for a lot of money and everyone feared, is GitHub going to become closed source? And one interesting thing that uh, GitHub rolled out a feature recently, which was a Patreon type feature that you could do your development on GitHub and then you know developers could say, I'm going to support that creative craft. I don't know how to feel about that. Like I think it's really cool from the indie movement of I can build something and get the support and funding, but then... It almost feels like it's going to change the platform from very indie to very professional. 
Yeah. So you're telling me shareware is coming back. <laughs> <laughs> Everything's full circle, right? Like IRC is now Slack. <laughs> yeah. Everything does come full circle. It's uh, it, it's now cool again. Yeah, so look, I think it's my take on this is probably similar to creators on YouTube and you know different social networks. That look, if you're if you're doing stuff and, and in your own time and creating value, and people want to give a donation to you, I think that's great. And I think there are obviously always going to be businesses that push that threshold or individuals that push that threshold a little bit too much and make it suddenly feel very commercial. And I also think there are people that, that hold their values and say, look, like if you want to donate this or donate to this cause because it's helping you build a business, then I would appreciate that. And I don't have any expectation of what that is. Um, I think the challenge again is how do you kind of balance that dynamic? And again, I think share growing up and you know, I saw shareware and, and would utilize that for independent developers. And I would get it. I was like, look, this person's probably spending all of their time and, and wants to actually make perhaps some living from it. Then um, I think they should have an opportunity to do that. So I don't necessarily fall in like either camp of, hey, this is right or wrong outside of, um, I think the beauty of open source software and, and places like GitHub is that you can go and learn and it doesn't cost you anything. Um, and how do you actually balance that? I think is the challenge for those companies. Right. And I think shareware and coming back to a donate only model isn't only with GitHub now. In early June 2019, Tim Ferriss said he's launching an experiment. He said for his podcast with Tim Ferriss, for the next six months, he's not going to take any sponsors, any ads or anything. He's going to go completely donation only model, which we've never seen before in that space. And I don't know how to feel about it. Um, I love him. I bought all his books. I think he has some fantastic information. But to go donation only when you're pretty much as big as Joe Rogan when it comes to podcasting kind of threw me for a loop for a second. Yeah, I think if you have a large enough base, it's I think there's less risk in doing that. Again, you know, I'm a huge fan of Tim Ferriss. And I think if you're at the top, um, then you probably can take that chance knowing that at the end of the day, there's probably going to be enough people that turn around and say, hey, I'm going to support you and I'm going to donate to that because I want you to be able to do it as opposed to having to think about ads. Again, probably more difficult for somebody that's just starting off with a podcast. Now I can tell you what that outcome probably looks like uh, for most people, uh, not, not necessarily for everybody, but I think it's probably less risky to, to go and take that experiment. And, and honestly, like I'm super curious to see what happens with it. Me too. So maybe I'll give uh, Tim Ferriss a few bucks and, and see if that model works out. But uh, I think you can look at you can look at at streamers on Twitch and creators again on on YouTube and things like that. And you know you don't necessarily have to pay to subscribe for those individuals. And a lot of those individuals make their living on Patreon and donations. And so I think there's been. I think we've seen some tales of success from that. And so I think you can leverage that to say, hey, is this a, a good decision or a bad decision? Let me just try it out and understand the risks involved. Yeah. And speaking of risks involved, you know, advertising is the part that Tim Ferriss is forsaking for the next six months and, you know, diving into your past life with ads, right? It's a very fasting industry, always evolving. Today, you know, video and photo ads seem to be the new things on platforms like Google and Facebook and Snapchat and other ad auction platforms. But most recently, both LinkedIn and Pinterest have been rolling out ad platforms as well to further monetize their products. What do you think about them getting into the game? 
Yeah, so I think uh, like competition is always a good thing. Um, I think we've seen, you know, over the past probably 15 years, a lot of the ad market now revolves around obviously Google and Facebook and what they've done. And then I think it comes into kind of the, the niche players. And I say niche players in a good way. You know, Pinterest and LinkedIn are, are two platforms that I use. I think they're exceptional. Um, and they also have very specific audiences. And I think because they have very specific audiences, both of those businesses recognize the opportunity for advertisers to connect. And I think, you know, they don't necessarily want to open up those audiences to perhaps people they're competing against, competing against in terms of Facebook and Google for, for ad dollars. So I think having a closed off approach running their own audience networks, allowing advertisers to come to them prevents a unique, provides a unique business opportunity. I also think it's, you know, to be somewhat controversial, I, I think it's probably the only way that, um, well, LinkedIn is, own, is no longer independent, but Pinterest is obviously still an independent company. I think they kind of have to do it. I don't know if they could survive long-term with ads being opened up to Facebook and Google. But again, I'm not in those businesses. I haven't been in that business for a long time. So I'll, I'll, uh, I'll take back my controversial state. I'll walk back my controversial statement uh, slightly on that. Yeah, no worries. And maybe to segue into the topic of the podcast today, which is all about voice and voice and data. Of obviously we're here, so I just have uh, my my landline, right? So I have my landline as as well in 2019. And one of my favorite topics when I'm grabbing drinks with friends is death of the landline. When is the landline going to go away? And when I moved into a new building a couple of years ago with fiber and gigabyte internet, basically the package that included the landline, the cable internet, and the data was cheaper than just the data or the cable package alone. So what's your take on the death of the landline and if bundling and unbundling of services will impact that? Yeah, so the death of the landline happens when my mom gives it up because uh, she just bought a new house and put a landline in. And, uh, the same thing happened, um, right? It's It was cheaper to bundle it. I honestly don't know... If that is because they're public companies and actually are trying to maintain subscriber growth, which is ultimately probably what I would be doing. It doesn't make any sense. My mom never uses the landline. I just call her on her cell phone. But I think the bundling and unbundling of services is really interesting. You know, I've cut the cord probably two plus years ago. I haven't missed it at all. And then you kind of look at what's happening within the streaming markets, though, that now you have. Netflix subscription, you have an HBO Go subscription, you're soon going to have content pulled off of Netflix from Disney, and now Disney's going to have a subscription services. So it's almost like everything's going to become these spirit packages that you're going to have to go pay for. And then I think at some point, what's old becomes new again, we'll go back to having just a, a package that becomes more cost efficient, and we'll just close the loop and go back. So I think it's going to be really interesting to see what happens. I think it is a wonky time for some of these businesses right now in terms of the landline is dying, the telephone is not. And I think that's a, something distinct to highlight. But I do think that they're trying to hold on to some of these services, um, perhaps because of some business pressure. Sure. And speaking of cutting the cord, it's almost like actually cutting the cord, how unified communications have caused a lot of customers to move away from Avaya, to move away from Cisco, and to move on to platforms like Dialpad and Uber Conference. Why do you think people are cutting the cord in the voice space? And 
Is it because people maybe want a second and third number? They want to be able to work remote. They want access to talking anytime, anywhere. What's some of your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think the biggest trend that that we've seen is, you know, the rise of the modern worker, which is nobody wants to be tied to just to their desk anymore, right? Um, much of what we, what we kind of highlighted, but people want the freedom of mobility. And I think when it gets into, you know, cutting the cord, and we talked a little bit before we started the podcast, just on people having multiple numbers. And I think the beauty of products like Dialpad or, you know, and whether it's one of our competitors is you can have a a business phone number on your personal device. And that allows you to actually manage that in a really unique way that I can have my business contacts and I can have my personal contacts and I don't have to worry about them, the lines getting blurred. And I think that's also an important trend that we see is there's a lot of focus now on like, hey, I want to have my business life and I want to have my personal life and I don't want them to bleed over because I think we are getting to a place where it's like you have to be connected all of the time and everything's the same. So I think the two trends that we see, though, are, you know, the rise of the modern worker and providing flexibility and the cloud allows us to do that. And then I also think it comes down to people want to be able to have a business line and on their personal device and be able to manage that in a really seamless way. Um, And there's a lot of opportunities that that creates. Yeah, no need to have two phones anymore when you can have one device. Yeah, that is, uh, it's funny anytime I see somebody with, uh, you know, they show up with their, you know, I go to dinner with somebody and, and they've got two phones. And it's like, hey, here's my personal phone and here's my business phone that they've provisioned. And it immediately goes off in my head. It's like, oh, that company has probably provisioned a $1,000. You know, they've got a, a new iPhone. So you've got a, a $1,000 um, piece of hardware that's been provisioned. And then you're picking up the data plan on it. And it's like, you know what you could do is um, you could sign up for Dialpad um, and you can go get, you know, to, to sell us a little bit and you can get your business line. And it's all handled through an app. And it takes over the call to the, the call kit on the phone and works in a super seamless way. And again, it doesn't that's what all of all of us are kind of thinking about and seeing. And so I think that presents a really unique opportunity for a business. Let's talk about scaling teams and scaling sales, both when you were at Talk IQ and now at Dialpad. What have been some of the biggest challenges that you've solved and advice that you could recommend to other startups that are scaling? Yeah, so I think one is you know, obviously there's the talent wars that are going on. And so I think like one of the biggest challenges that we've been faced with is we're a high growth startup. We added a hundred people last year. We're going to add another hundred plus this year. And so I think one of the biggest challenges for our ability to scale comes down to where do you find that talent? And this gets back into a little bit of the earlier conversation, which is how do we leverage our own technologies in a way that allows us to hire in places we may not normally think about? And so we've opened up offices throughout the world in a way that we can then hire talent, no matter where that exceptional talent might be. And I think startups have to think about that. You know, I know we were talking a little bit of like, look, you got to have your core team in one place when you're early on. Um, But I think one is you don't have to only build your team in San Francisco or New York. And if you try to do that, I honestly think it's pretty difficult. They're the two most expensive labor markets in the world, super competitive, you know, San Francisco has near zero unemployment. Anybody that leaves a job today will get a job tomorrow. So that's a crazy place to try to find talent. And when you get into loyalty or, hey, is that person going to stick around? Those are also very real challenges where there are the next big startup. There's the next large public company that's doing exceptionally well. It is now breaking out again. Um, And those are tough forces to compete against if you want to play. It's kind of like being the Oakland days and 
you got to figure out how to play the game a little bit differently because you're in just a smaller market. Have you uh, thought about hiring robots like Sophia, the digital citizen? Yeah, so no, uh, no robots for us, not yet. You know, our take, it's funny, anytime, uh, anytime I get into the, the AI conversations, usually there's that somebody will ask about it, the robots coming for our jobs and when are they showing up? And I'm like, we're a long way away from that. Our belief in all of this and my personal belief is like, look, we'll use AI. And when I talk about AI, speech recognition, NLP, we'll use these technologies to augment in-person experiences. I think I personally enjoy talking with people and connecting with them. And I think, look, we're decades away, honestly, from um, having true AI that can do exceptional things. That's my personal take on it. But I'm like, no, we're, we're far away from that. You know, one final question that's been on my mind for a while is thinking about the future of work. And the future of work, you know, we talked about earlier, could be centralized or could be also remote and distributed. And as the future of work is becoming virtual and virtual is the new office and teams are scaling up, in addition to any of the software recommendations, what are some of the best practices you would recommend for remote work cultures to build a good team? Yeah, so I think the first one is anytime you connect with somebody remotely, turn on video. And I think it's really easy to actually, a lot of people will start web conferences with people and turn off the video. It's just, I don't know what it is. Like, it's a human habit. So I think number one is when you're working with um, somebody remote, understands that there's a lot of the, the hallway conversations that get lost. A lot of the moments to actually connect and just say hello, give a high five, whatever it might be. And so I think... Always, anytime I have to manage somebody remote and I have a remote, a remote team today is making sure I turn on the video. I also find ways to just connect with them, which is randomly, I'll actually try to set up a, a web conference just to chat with them and an Uber conference just to chat with them and connect and say thank you or tell them that I appreciate them. Um, and again, it's ways to try to force those hallway conversations. Because again, I think those are the moments that we kind of take for granted. Um, literally, I walk around giving a lot of high fives to people, uh, but that doesn't happen to my team that's in Kitchener, Waterloo, which is um, just outside Toronto. So I think those are ones. Two is finding ways to get it. The you know, if you have employees in different offices out to the headquarters or just together, so we actually find time at least once a year, if not twice a year, to get everybody together from all of our different offices and bring them just as a, a way to connect um, and get together. Because I think, again, if you're just a fully remote team, you probably get used to that. But then when you get everybody together, the thing that always happens is, is people learn new things. They feel a, sen a greater sense of camaraderie. And I think you got to make those extra efforts on those pieces. And then the last piece is just over-communication. And I think that's something that um, you know we can take for granted when we work every day together in the same office. Um, but again, if you're running a fully remote team, you really have to focus on over-communicating. Again, there are going to be things that they don't hear about, they don't know about. And so you really have to push yourself to be really clear and concise and even share too much um, just so they can understand everything that's happening or, or what the business is thinking about. 
That's awesome. And perhaps to share a little bit more as well, you know, I love that Dialpad is so focused on visual voice and visual audio. And uh, if I can get a sneak peek, I'm just curious to know any plans in the future for visual video in the Dialpad suite of products? Yeah, I have a big smile on my face that you can't see, but we will we'll have some cool announcements in the very near term on, a, on multi-party video. That's fantastic. I love how all the products at Dialpad help me better manage my workflow and truly is building a society where humans are augmented by AI and machine learning. And I can't wait to get my hands on that beta product in the next near term as well. So uh, Dan, thanks so much for being on the Humane Podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. This was a blast. Hey, humans. Thanks for listening to this episode of Humane. My name is David Jakobovich, and if you like Humane, remember to click subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Luminary. Thanks for tuning in and join us for our next episode. New releases are every Tuesday. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors, and add blocks. No custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite.